King Solomon said, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. But when friends add to your suffering, what should you do? And that's exactly the spot that we find Job in today on Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you aboard the Bible bus. Today we once again journey to the land of Uz, where Job is sitting at the city dump. Our teacher, of course, is Dr. J. Vernon McGee, and our study begins today at Job chapter 6, verse 15. So while you find your place in God's Word, we got just enough time to hear a couple of letters from listeners who join us in their language of Arabic. The first one comes from a listener who asks us to keep his location a secret. I've been with you for so long, but your program has never, ever been boring to me. Every time I tune in, I find treasures from the Word of God. Believe me, if not for your teaching, I would have forsaken my faith in Jesus a long time ago. You have been my mentor, my guide through it all. And here's one. This is from a fellow Bible bus passenger in Morocco. Your teaching has been and still is my only contact with the Word of God. I live where I cannot get an actual Bible and am forbidden to have one. That is why your program is important. You have given me life through your words. Thanking you is never enough. Aren't these encouraging letters? Well, you know you can join our World Prayer Team and pray for listeners like these all around the world by simply signing up today at ttb.org forward slash pray. And you know, we'd love to hear from you too. Why don't you tell us what God's doing in your life through these studies at BibleBus at ttb.org. That's an email address that you can send your letter to. Or you can always write your letter to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you bless the teaching of your word and thank you for taking it across borders where missionaries are forbidden and printed copies of the Bible are banned. We pray that you would also be praised and glorified in the most unlikeliest of places. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of Job 6 through 8 on Through the Bible. We come back here to the book of Job, and you'll recall that last time we saw the complaint of Job, his three friends had come to minister to him, and they were just sitting there shaking their heads for seven days. And actually, they weren't really sympathizing. They're saying literally, well, old boy, it's finally out. You got caught up with it last. God is judging you. And so Job breaks out of that shell of silence, and he lets us have his complaint. And then Eliphaz, apparently the leader of the group, is the first one to speak to him. And we saw that Eliphaz was a man of remarkable, strange, and mysterious experience. And the thing that he fell back on always to enforce an argument was, I have seen. Well, he'd had visions and dreams, and he'd heard secrets. Actually, he's a spiritualist. The very interesting thing is... There are those that are like that today. They claim, of course, a rather super knowledge. Now Job is answering him. And Job says to him in verse 15, My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook, and as the stream of brooks they pass away. And the word in the Hebrew means as a mirage in the desert. Job said, When I saw my friends coming to me, I thought, here is an oasis in the desert. They're going to help me, but it was only a mirage. And then he goes on in his complaint here that 
His brethren actually have misunderstood that they are not evaluating the situation as it is. And he speaks of the fact that he thought that they would be warm to him, but they vanish away. What time they wax warm, they vanish. That's verse 17. When it is hot, they're consumed out of their place. And then he speaks of the fact that they are eyes. It is all deceitful. It's like a pool that's covered over with snow, but ice beneath it that's holding it up. And if you step on it, why, you fall. That's the type of friends they've turned out to be. And then he goes on to say, if you have something to tell me, tell me and teach me. I'm teachable. In verse 24 here, he says, teach me and I will hold my tongue and cause me to understand wherein I've erred. And then he says, how forcible are right words. But what doth your arguing reprove? He said, what you've said is good, but doesn't touch my case at all. You're not speaking to me. You are not diagnosing my case at all. I've just heard today of somebody who went to a doctor, and the doctor diagnosed the case as arthritis. And it turned out that it was cancer. And it was too late by the time that they got in the hands of a cancer specialist to do anything for them at all. Now, that was the problem here with Job. Job said, you've come and you've attempted to diagnose my case. You've said it's one thing. It's not that. If you diagnose it accurately and you have something to say to me, why, you say it to me and I'll listen to you. You see, the problem of these men, all three of them, as we shall see, is that they did not know God, they did not know Job, and they really did not know themselves. They didn't quite understand. And they all are going to assume that Job has sinned and that he is holding out, that he won't come out with it, and that what's happening to him is judgment. Now, Job continues in chapter 7 to answer this man, Eliphaz, and he says here, Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of an hireling? As a servant earnestly desireth the shadow, as an hireling looketh for the reward of his work, so am I made to possess months of vanity and wearisome nights are appointed to me. In other words, there seems to be no surcease from his sorrow and from his pain. He's a sick man, by the way, and actually a real sick man at this time. And they have ignored that. They have not attempted to deal with him at this because he found no comfort in any quarter. Even his wife, his helpmate, has suggested suicide. And when his world caved in around his head, he became a distraught and frustrated man to be pitied and pain racked his body. Fever drove him actually to periods of delirium, and it was difficult for this man to maintain his equilibrium. Listen to him now here in chapter 7, what he says in verse 4. He says, When I lie down, I say, When shall I arise? And the night be gone, and I am full of tossings to and fro unto the dawnings of the day. My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. In other words, he felt that he had an incurable disease. 
and probably did have, and that the end was coming, and it wasn't far away. Now, in this wretched condition, this first friend has paid no attention to that at all. And they have come, and they have not really ministered to him. And I'm not going to say they're not real friends. The point is, they just didn't understand. Someone has said a friend is one who knows you and still loves you, but he must know you. These friends didn't know Job. And this is something that is quite interesting. Job says, you're nothing in the world but a mirage in a desert, and you're not even talking to my problem at all. And they, of course, didn't know God. We'll see that as we move along. Finally, when God broke through, he could say that this man had certainly not received very good advice or help at all. Now, he says here that his physical condition should have called forth from them sympathy at least. And the fact of the matter is that if he's sinned, he wants them to help him. Now, listen to him as he talks to them. And I'm just hitting high points here, by the way, in this section of Job, because we're going to move through like that. This is actually not what I would call a study in the book of Job. I would actually like to spend a year or two years in this book. I think it's just as rich as cream, and it's worthy of a great deal of study. And it's a very profound book, too, by the way. Now, he says here, and I'll begin reading it, verse 15, "...so that my soul chooseth strangling and death rather than life." This man now very frankly says, I want to die. And he says, I loathe it. I shall not live always. Let me alone, for my days are vanity. Let me die in peace, in other words. And then he goes on in verse 17, What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, and that thou shouldst set thine heart upon him, and that thou shouldst visit him every morning and try him every moment? And he says he wished God would let him alone. He senses that He is being tried, but he hasn't any notion what's back of it at all. And he says, How long wilt thou not depart from me, nor let me alone till I swallow down my spittle? My, isn't that a picture of this man? He says, Just leave me alone. Just let me alone in my own misery. And now he's going to say this to them. If you're raising a question of my sin, I'm not saying I'm guiltless. He says, I have sinned, but why select me for the special attack as a notorious sinner? Why make my life a burden when I'm not that kind of a sinner? The thing that you should do is show mercy to me. Now, listen to him here. He says, how long wilt thou not depart from me, nor let me alone, till I swallow down my spittle? I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee? He says, I admit I'm a sinner. O thou preserver of man... Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee, so that I'm a burden to myself? He's saying he's getting more than he deserves. Now the last verse, verse 21. And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity? For now shall I sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. And what he's saying now to these men, I'd be glad and I die. You fellows can't bother me then. Now, you can see that there is a breaking down of Job. There's a breaking down of his integrity, actually, that is taking place here. And when a man has his own integrity broken down, 
then he is an easy mark, of course, for Satan. And that is the thing that happens to many a man that attempts to fight life alone, begins to hit the bottle or drop into sin. And before long, why, the devil has got him because he's broken the man's integrity down. And he gets in the same situation Job is. Now, will Job break under all of this? Now, the next man that makes his attack upon Job is Bildad. And we find his argument in chapter 8. Now, let me say a word about him. He is what you would call a traditionalist. Bildad is a man that rests upon the past. His argument here is, verse 8, For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to the search of their fathers. Now, he attempts to pick up the old rocks and stones of geology and look at them and tell you what happened years ago and what's going to happen because of that. Actually, the evolutionist is really a traditionalist. Great many people do not recognize that. But he rests upon the past. And, of course, he's making certain premises that he can't prove, by the way. And today, the premises are actually assumed. There are only two explanations for the origin of this universe. One, of course, is creation, and the other, speculation. Now, evolution is speculation, and it's very nice to be able to take up this bone and try to date it and then try to classify it belonging to this period and this development of man. But who knows? This book here is going to raise the question. In fact, God will raise the question even with Job, where were you? when I laid the foundation of the earth. And so this man here, he will use the expression. He'll say, when I was young. And he says, we've been doing it this way. Now, he knew a lot of old sayings and proverbs and pious platitudes, and he offers actually nothing new at all. But actually, he's a very crude fellow, and he's more crude, by the way, than Eliphaz was. And he breaks in upon this man and actually he hurts him a great deal, and he doesn't help him at all. Now, this is Bildad, who's supposed to have been his friend. I'm reading now verse 1, chapter 8. Then answered Bildad the Shuhite, and said, How long wilt thou speak these things? And how long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? Now, very frankly, these men really get in some good ones, we would say today. This is real repartee, by the way. This is a real rap session that they're having here. And they're brilliant men. To tell the truth, Bildad puts in the knife here and twists it just a little. He says, how long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? Why, he says, Job, to listen to you is just like listen to the wind blow. You're a windy individual. And I would say all of them are that, including Job. And we're going to see that there is something wrong with Job, but we'll come to that a little later. Now, will you notice this? He says, how long wilt thou speak these things? How long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? I'd say that was a good one. That was good for a laugh. As I said before, a crowd had gathered around by this time. And this was as interesting to those people as a football game or a basketball game would be today. And you can see they're really uncivilized. And the intellectual contest, you see, appealed to them. 
not a physical contest. They really are uncivilized, aren't they? They are not up to it. They are not really civilized like we are today. Now, listen to them. Doth God pervert judgment, or doth the Almighty pervert justice? Now, what's he coming to? What he's really saying is, Job, you're getting exactly what's coming to you. You are trying to defend yourself, and it means that there's some great sin in your life, and you're getting exactly what you deserve. Now, listen to him. If thy children have sinned against him, and he hath cast them away for their transgression... Now, that's an awful thing to say. He's suggesting that the reason Job's children were destroyed was because they were sinners. Now, I can't think of anything that had hurt more than that. And especially this man didn't know that. And we know by this time, since God let us in on it at the beginning, they weren't destroyed for that reason. Now, will you notice verse 5? If thou would seek unto God betimes and make thy supplication to the Almighty... If thou wert pure and upright, surely now he would awake for thee and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. Now, Job, if you were lily white, as you're given the impression, why, God would hear your prayer and heal you and restore you. But the thing is, there must be something radically wrong. Now he says to him, verse 7, Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. And by the way, that's what's going to happen. It will greatly increase. God's going to double everything he had at the end. But that's what this man is saying now to him. Verse 8, For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to the search of the Father. Now he's going back and give you the old evolutionary theory. And he's going to say that these things all work according to law. There are quite a few of these laws that he'd put down And their old sayings, listen to him. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing, because our days upon earth are a shadow. Now, he doesn't mean he doesn't know. He means that Job doesn't know. We are but of yesterday and know nothing. And that, by the way, is a true statement. But that was true of this man Bildad. And it's true of the evolutionists today. And it's true of you and me. We are but of yesterday. Actually, man on this earth is a Johnny-come-lately. He hadn't been around very long. And God just hasn't seen fit to tell you what he was doing back under a million years ago. And after all, I'm not interested, frankly, in what he did a million years ago. I'm very much interested in what he's going to be doing a million years from today because I expect to be around for that. And that's the thing that should interest us. And by the way, that is the thing here that separates this man from Paul, for instance. Now, Paul, you know, his philosophy pointed to the future and to Christ. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But this man here, he goes back to the past, you see. He says, verse 10, Shall not they teach thee and tell thee and utter words out of their heart? In other words, that old rock that they brought back from the moon, you better listen to it. It can tell you something. I don't know about you, but I don't think that rock's going to tell us very much. I understand down in Houston, Texas, among some of the scientists down there, they've made the statement, why there are rocks out in West Texas that are just exactly like these rocks. And my point is, why don't they run a truck out to West Texas and pick up those rocks and quit spending all the money going to the moon. But 
If they want to go, why let them go? But the point is, these things don't really teach you what you should know. It's like this medical doctor wrote, and this man knows all about surgery. But the important thing, the Word of God and eternal things, he very frankly says he doesn't know about them. And this idea of man playing with a few little rocks and a few little bones down here and then pretend that they know how the earth began and all of its development, may I say to you, that at its face value ought to be dismissed because man is assuming more than he possibly could know. Now, will you notice, he's going to become very scientific. Listen to him. Can the rush grow up without mire? And the answer to that's obvious. I mean, any third grader would know that. Can the flag grow without water? I've learned that in California. I have to water my flags that are out by my back fence. You just got to water them if they're going to grow. This is profound wisdom, but who doesn't know this? Then he goes on. Whilst it is yet in his greenness and not come down, it withereth before any other herb. Well, we all know that, Bildad. So are the paths of all that forget God, and the hypocrite's hope shall perish. Now he's crude. He calls Job a hypocrite. He's been covering up, he says. And that, of course, is not true. Now, verse 14, whose hope shall be cut off and whose trust shall be a spider's web. He shall lean upon his house, but it shall not stand. He shall hold it fast, but it shall not endure. Job, he says, has been leaning against a spider's web. He's been a hypocrite, putting up a front. And this trouble has come now. Well, Job hasn't been. And so he moves on talking in this same vein. And verse 20, he says, Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man, neither will he help the evildoers. Now, wait just a minute. Is that actually true? Well, he sure helped me, and I've been an evildoer. He saved me, friends. And will God cast away a perfect man? No, he won't. But where is the perfect man? There's none. There's none righteous. No, not one. You see, what he says is true, but it's not true. When you pour it in the test tube of life and pour the acid of experience upon it, it just isn't true. Till he filled thy mouth with laughing and thy lips with rejoicing. Now, listen to him, the last verse. They that hate thee shall be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked shall come to naught. And what he's saying, Job, you're really coming to nothing because you're a great sinner. Now, this is not very helpful for a man that's in a position Job is. You see, Bildad does not know God. He does not know Job. And he does not really know himself. He's a traditionalist. He thinks that he can put a rock under a microscope and tell you how the world began. He doesn't know. He's a smart boy, but he doesn't know, you see... You put yourself in the place of God. Now, Job's going to answer this man. And next time in the ninth chapter, we're going to see that Job is pretty good at coming back. But he's getting awfully weary of this that's happening. But he has a few good things to say. So until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Well, Job's so-called friends, or as some call them today, frenemies, are giving them a real verbal beating. Job seems to be holding his own. Why don't you listen to today's study again and share it with a friend at ttb.org. Now, if you'd like Dr. McGee's entire study available at your fingertips, you can always download our handy app for Google or Apple devices. 
You'll not only be able to listen to all of Dr. McGee's messages in our five-year study, but you'll also be able to get the notes and outlines through the app as well. This powerhouse of information is available to you anytime, and we also make it available on a Bible Bus flash drive. You just plug it into your USB port on any computer. You don't need any special installation equipment or anything like that, and it doesn't take up a whole bunch of storage space on your computer. It's pretty amazing, considering it's the five-year study all on one USB flash drive. So whether you want to use the flash drive or our app, try those today. You can also call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if you've got any questions, or just go to ttb.org forward slash shop if you want to pick up that flash drive. Now, in our next study, Job has some choice words for Bildad, and Dr. McGee has some special insights for us as well. To get the most out of our time together, you know it's always good to read the section of Scripture that we're covering before hopping aboard the Bible bus each day. You can download your free copy of the reading schedule that's available on our bookmark when you visit us at ttb.org forward slash bookmark, or you can get it automatically every month when you sign up for our monthly newsletter. Just visit ttb.org or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. I'm Steve Schwetz, so grateful for your company today and your partnership as we together take God's whole word to the whole world. Our story on the Bible bus today is just one step in a five-year journey through the entire Word of God. Come along for the ride, and you'll study both the Old Testament and New Testament, discovering God's great redemption story. Is this your story, too?